Welcome to Oz Property Investors, where you're smart, no BS friends who tell you the most interesting stuff going on in property. Join your host, Jeff Miles, former mortgage broker and property developer, alongside Joe Tucker, Director of Property Principles Buyers Agency, as they interview some of Australia's top property experts and commentators, so we can all become better property investors together. And we are live on us, Property Investors. You bring the big names and we have the big fun. And we were having the fun before this session. I, I kind of didn't want to hit live, but how are you going, Charlie? I'm doing well, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, it's it's been, like Joe said to me, we haven't had Charlie, we should have Charlie on. And I'm like, yep, we damn, damn well should. But uh, how, how about you, Joe? How are you going? Closing deals, mate, getting haircuts? I'm, mate, everyone's getting haircuts. I wanted to have Charlie back. He has done some incredible things over the past 24 months. Uh, well, over the past decade, really. But um, I love listening to um, the the podcast that Charlie has uh, recently created, Full Stack Business Owner. If you're not a part of it, check it out. Um, but I'm keen to unpack. With, with Yes, with Grant, yes. Um, but I'm keen to unpack that, mate. I'm, I'm pumped for this one. How are you, Jeff? I'm good. Um, I feel like there's there's an ending of an era somewhat in the, in the next three, three to six months. And I'm excited for what 2023 is going to bring. And and more will be revealed potentially, but yeah, excited. Ooh. It's going to be all property. It's going to be fun. It's going to be adding value. So let's, uh, without further ado, we should get into it. Should we do quote of the week? Actually, before we do that, uh, people, we love the like, we love the comments, throw your questions and, and Charlie's happy. Charlie loves adding value in whatever he does. So we, we're going to get to as much of that and just, um, and of course, throw, throw a like, do all that good stuff, you know? Got to do that. So, quote of the week. Our guest. I'm. Ex- I love to hear. So, what is your quote, Mister Charlie or Mister Vela? All right, got one for you here. So, my my one comes from a guy called Naval Ravikant, which if oh. you have or haven't heard of him, I highly recommend him. And uh, he's got this quote, which is, "Play stupid games, win stupid prizes." Ooh. Now, I, I have been deeply thinking about this one because when it comes to life, I think many people are playing very stupid games that lead to stupid prices or prizes, I should say there. So I think it's a really good carryover to maybe for one to reevaluate how they're approaching life a little bit, like maybe getting a bit caught up in the uh, rat race or competing with the neighbors or things that uh, really don't matter when it's like, there's far better things to do and far more important ones. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's um, something to, that I think you've, you've lived your life by because Ultimately, you sort of you, you've you've evolved in your journey. You've learnt many lessons, and and I think you've started to sort of the bigger. And in our conversations, you do play a big game, and you, and you challenge mostly me. And some, I think Joe sort of takes it on board as well. He silently takes it on, and he's like, he's yeah. I'm just like I'm throwing stuff back at you. But yeah, that's that's really good. I like it. Yeah, Joe. What's I think your... it's I think it's a good point as well because um, it it makes you stop to think about what game you're actually playing, and and that's. That's what this session is all about because ultimately what, what do we all want? We all want financial freedom. We all want the choice. We all want to be able to do the things that we want to do. But if you're not taking the actions to be able to get to the thing, you're just playing a game that doesn't have an end outcome that's going to give you what you want. So be it whatever investment vehicle you have, but you've got to play a game that makes sense. Um, <clears throat> my, my quote is all about planning. Um, and it's all about a good plan. So this is called, this one is done by Richard Crushings. Um, don't know who he is, uh, but he had a good quote. Always plan ahead. It wasn't raining when Noah built the ark. So that is my little quote of setting up your, uh, it's kind of, you know, it's a good one. 
Richard Cushing, by the way. He's a cardinal yep. priest. There you go. Amen. Interesting, Joe. What about you, Jeff? So I, I always Google my, my quote person because I'm just like, you know, if they've done something really horrific, like maybe I don't want to be, be seen as quoting that horrific person. But yeah, I, I love how you yeah, I love how you just you, you take it on, Joe. So mine is wh- whether you think you can or can't, you're right. Um, of, of course, I had to do a Henry Ford and Henry Ford's an interesting, diversive sort of character. Um, but he was, I, I suppose, a magnate and, and just that sort of quote that he had there typifies for me mindset because if you don't think you can buy a a 10 property portfolio, you've already lost the game. You, you, you don't even have a ticket. And, and, and if you think you can, it may take you 10, 15, 20 years. It may take you three years, but if you think you can, I think that's more than half the battle. So I like it. Podcast on. Podcast on. We went deep real quick guys for getting very philosophical. It's how we roll. Real deep, real quick. Um, but I am pumped for this session. This is going to be an absolute cracker because we had you on, Charlie, about a, a year ago in January. And we actually, I don't know if you remember this, back in January, we had a post about your journey and your adventure. You bought, was it eight properties in 15 months? Um, you have a property portfolio of 15 properties at the time. And you got some some interesting comments in the comment section of like, no, that's not possible. This is bullshit, blah, 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 blah. And um, you really bucked the trend and said, you know what? It is actually possible. And the things that I've done, um, I've achieved within the current environment. So it's interesting to unpack that. So let's jump into our first ad and then we will jump into this. But before we say that, just letting everyone know that we are not, all the information here is not financial advice and that you need to speak with a qualified professional advisor. Saves everyone from doing that. There's nothing worse than going into a situation unprepared, especially when that situation is purchasing one of the most expensive assets of your life against a trained property expert in the form of a real estate agent. It's a scary thought, but it is a skill that can be taught. Do you want to learn how to become fully prepared when buying a property so you can get out there, buy your dream home or investment property without the fear of actually messing it up? Scott Agate, the founder and expert property negotiator at Hello House, has been helping people buy their properties by stepping in and negotiating with the agents and saving his clients tens of thousands, and in some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Scott has now decided to share all that he's learned over the past 28 years in real estate, so you can go out there and do the exact same thing on how to find a property, analyze that property, negotiate on that property, and transact on it to get the best results. He's created the Get Buyer Ready course, which is a step-by-step guide on how you too can become an expert property negotiator. It's the easy way of how you can avoid all of these agent games and get the best purchase price on that dream home or your investment property. The course is in short bites for busy people with no fluff at all. Just all the information you need to get buyer ready and secure that next property with confidence at the best price. Scott has been kind enough to give our community a massive discount with the link below. Sign up today before you even think about putting an offer on that next property and it will be one of the best decisions you ever make. Here we go. It's the new, the new, uh, new latest and greatest from Scott. So, but uh, I, I see there's plenty of banter in, in the comments already between Grant and, and Hayden talking about ten properties on a spreadsheet is for amateurs or rookies. So good, good on, good on Hayden. He loves it. Good old always be mine. <laughs> eventually, funny. you might get Hayden on here. But uh, I, I've been telling saying to Joe we should do it, but maybe I don't know. We'll talk about it off. See what Hayden says. See if he wants to come on. <laughs> come along, so Charlie, who who is the you have you have a very short, relatively short bio. 
So you are a business owner, husband, investor, and father, and I'd, I'd say double-digit property portfolio. I don't know if you're triple-digit yet. Maybe you'll get there soon in the next three years. You run Vela Media, but also the thing that I, I, lo- I love the kind of the social and the uh, lots of stuff, but, but full stack full stack business owner, I think that's the one that's bringing, bringing noise and making the ruckus at the moment. So tell, tell us a bit, before we get into the first question, I'm going to ask a, a question before the first question. What, what was the reason you started full stack business owner and why would Grant? You boys definitely know how to like butter me up because both of you have brought up the podcast now and it's yeah, like, it, it's got a very, very special place in my heart. Yep. So um, many years ago, and uh, this is going way back, I've known Grant a very long time now. Um, we started having these conversations about, well, if you were to make some money in business and then it's like, well, what do you do with it? Like, how do you turn it into something more? Like, how do you turn it into wealth? So we started having these conversations and building wealth became an obsession of ours, specifically for business owners being we are business owners. And after a few years of feeling like we were the only ones that were talking about it, we decided to um, start a podcast and see if anyone else wanted to tune in. Now, to our like delight, like this was just a fun idea to see what would happen. Um, it absolutely took off. So in this year, since we've been releasing the show, like it's got, I'll say quite a following now. It's like every day my inbox is getting messages from fellow business owners and people who are trying to build it. Now kind of key thing is how do you build wealth inside and outside your business? Because I know a lot of the audience may not be business owners, although I would argue they are being they're doing, you know, accommodation businesses. But uh, at the same time, many of them end up retiring broke. So the sad reality of is most business owners don't end up any better off than they would have if they'd pursued other parts. A lot of them fail and it's a very stressful and potentially lonely lifestyle. So we brought this podcast together. We brought it to the people and it's certainly struck a chord with a lot and we are very, very gracious. So me and Grant have a lot of fun producing it. Uh, we also have a lot of fun passing on all the stuff we've learned along the way so that people can have some success. Yeah. And, and I think the, the, one of the reasons I think that you're perfect to talk about mindset is I, I was reading a, a quote and I, I love this quote. You'll probably quite enjoy it too. Um, is that we don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training, which is by Seneca, which is a favorite of Tim Ferriss. Tim. Mm. And, and, and the reason I think that epitomizes um, sort of this session of mindset is because everybody's sort of like, oh, I'm going to go and be financially free, 100K passive income, a million passive income, whatever goal it is. But that's the kind of expectation. Um, and, and then, but what, what a lot of people don't consider is, and I think you do fantastically, the thing is your superpower is your processes you follow. And correct me if I'm wrong there, but I think that's the thing where, where you're able to build successfully uh, multiple businesses or at the same time. It's your process that you have that kind of clear thing in place. So that's why I wanted you to, to get you on to talk about mindset and, and just the way you think about these things because you have a very unique and, and often contrarian brain. So, should we get into the first question, Joe? Let's yeah. do it. Let's do it. Oh, you ask him? You, I thought you, I thought I'd let you ask a question. No. But so, tell us about this. So, normally, ask people about their first investment. That's that's a little little boring, a little kind of uh, a little old, not old school, but a little too cliched. So, what we, what is your association with the Matrix? Like, tell us your Matrix moment. 
So uh, the artwork that came with uh, this episode, guys, when you when you sent it to me, I don't think you knew the backstory of it, which was kind of funny. Uh, um, that's the funny I was one. very lucky that I got interviewed by um, Todd Sloan about a week ago. I'm going to be featured in his upcoming uh, book, which I won't mention much about. I suspect uh, it's not my story to tell yet, but there's plenty of good things coming from it. Now, um, I live about 15 minutes away from Melbourne. I live in uh, Brighton and I had to travel into uh, the city to come and do the interview with him. Now, uh, Todd had made the interview for about 10 a.m. Now, I don't uh, – so it's quite a short trip, not a big deal, but uh, something I actually elected to do on that day was like, well, I'm actually going to go into the city early. I'm actually going to catch the train at about 8 a.m. And uh, I very, very, very specifically – wanted to be in the thick of the grind of Melbourne on a weekday. So I wanted to be on the train with all the corporate warriors. I wanted to be uh, walking up Elizabeth Street right at the time when everyone was going in their offices because I actually wanted to um, replicate the scene out of the Matrix with the girl in the red dress. So this is all intentional. So, you went you super intentionally intentional. went up. Yeah. yeah uh, and then you go, well, why? Why did you want to do this thing, right? Where you're walking through there and like literally, and there was no girl in a red dress. It would have been perfect if there was by chance, but Couldn't it's more the, uh, the moment. But the point being is like, well, why did you want to do this? And one of the things that's been really interesting for me is that I'm at a, a point in my life where I'm actually financially independent. Like I don't have to work another day in my life if I should not choose to. And even the things I do today, it's like I could shut them down tomorrow. Like it's not essential. My uh, portfolio and my, like it'll look after me for the rest of my life and my investments will. So I wanted to go have this moment just to see how it felt to not be in the system, like truly outside the system while watching everyone else going into the office buildings of Melbourne, on the train, all of it, and just like to soak it up because once upon a time in my life, like I was that person in the grind. Like I was absolutely working my ring out trying to get out of this grind and had never taken a single moment to kind of soak it up. And I went and had this moment on the way before Todd, and it was like, I was so overwhelmed. I uh, called my wife, Bianca, who's probably watching this right now. And yeah, was she's, just already, like, she's already jumped in and she's already said, I told him he didn't need to leave so early. <laughs> but anyway, sorry, go on. <laughs> but, it, but it was unbelievable. I was, I was actually like, it was this truly special moment when I'm like, we are so lucky. I have mm. just like so much gratitude that my life is now one where it's like nothing is have to, it's get to. So I don't mm. have to go and do this interview with Todd or even have to be here tonight. I get to do it. And when you get to a point in your life where you actually get to, like everything's choice, it's all choice. It reshapes and rewires your brain in a very, very different way where you enjoy the day-to-day -day experiences very, very differently. And like mm. I was watching people, man, I was watching girls in like ankle snapping heels, like jogging into these offices while trying to complete messages on their phones. I'm watching guys in suits, like just sweating, like sprinting it down, trying to get it. And I was just like, wow, like I had just forgotten what that type of experience is. So, and it's not a, it wasn't a moment or even now I'm trying to brag. It's more that it's the idea of like, I want everyone to have it. Like this mm. is the prize of pursuing the path we're pursuing here. And it's like my quote at the start of this, which was uh, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. I think a lot of people are getting caught up in games that are potentially don't lead to the outcomes they want. And this game of pursuing financial independence through property in this case, so worth it. 
like it is so incredibly worth it and a worthy pursuit that I just think that if anything, I want to be encouraging of others. And that's why I do full stack. I want to pass this on and spread the word. Like it's good here. Come play. Yeah. <laughs> it's, in, it's interesting you kind of talk to that because we, we're in, in a month's time, we're, we're going to, I've got an interview booked with somebody who I think is, is going to be amazing and, and just started our journey. Um, we're, I'm kind of dropping some, some sort of breadcrumbs here, but, but it's, it's interesting you say, cause I've been in corporate for 11, 12 years now. And I, I, I haven't felt part of the matrix since the start of COVID because I've worked mm. from home and it's interesting because there's kind of a bit of shuffling of the deck chairs and, and there's a potential to, to go back in the office at least once a, once a week. And I'm kind of like, you know what, if, if, if there's a if push really came to shove, I could, I'd potentially just say, well, actually I, I don't, I think I'd rather take leave than, than go into the, the office. Cause I just, and I, yeah, it's kind of just interesting. You kind of say that the people that don't realize that there is a choice and, and I suppose I'm quite privileged that I, I do have the choice to, to do that. Or some people, unfortunately, rising mm. interest rates are living paycheck to paycheck. But um, I'm, I'm mm. sort of fortunate, in a fortunate enough position to be able to, to not have to do that if, if I absolutely didn't need, didn't need to or didn't want to um, mm. because of my kind of life circumstance. So it's interesting you say that because five years ago, if you asked me that question, I probably would have said, well, no, it's just what everybody does. Whereas whereas it's, it's funny how circumstances change the way you go about mm. it. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and Charlie, what is, you know, mindset to you and, and, and why is it so, and why is it so important for property investing? Like, um, cause that's like, I imagine it starts with the mindset or yeah. Can you talk to that? Yeah. That's a, that's a really interesting question, right? I think like for a lot of people, mindset gets put in this like woo woo category. And then it's like, it becomes so ambiguous and like so mysterious that we just dispel it. It's like, no, 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 it couldn't be your mindset. It's having all the properties. That's the thing, right? No, it couldn't be. Sorry, water bottle down. Uh, point, point being is like mindset is like, it's a very, very critical uh, part of the journey. And I would make the argument that I don't think anyone gets anywhere without a certain mindset. So like it, for a lot of people, the thoughts you have leads to the actions you take. Like, is anyone going to buy a property if they think it's going to lead them to bankruptcy? No, but like, that's the mindset. Hopefully not. Right? So it all comes from there. I'll share some experiences here because I'm, uh, for most of my life, I felt very different than other people. And a lot of the choices I've made have led to different experiences that have only made me more different than other people. And uh, I'll give you some here. Is uh, I have, after my first business, I sold my first business. I started a new business and I got it to about the same level as the first business. And uh, even though I was in a different industry, working with different people, right? Selling something different, right? I had mm-hmm. all the same problems and I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm going, oh, I won't say the word because I'm like, there's a common denominator. Me? <laughs> Shit. And I'm like, so I had this like moment of epiphany after uh, my first company into my, um, into my second, that it's like, we play such a crucial role in the journey. And like, after that point, instead of studying more business stuff, I actually took a year and spent a year on personal development. And I I Mm. went and said that if I'm ever going to achieve anything more in business, I'm going to be the limiter. Like it won't matter Mm. if I sell this business and do another one or close it down and do another one. Like I'm going to keep rubbing up against this if I don't take this change. So I spent, I took a full year to work on myself and make some improvements in myself, money, psychology, 
like a whole few things there. And then after that, when I was able to compound my business skills with my uh, new personal development skills, that was like a multiplier. We went on to like do substantially bigger things from there. What, what, so what sort of what stuff that? in that year did you, uh, did you look at? Yeah, so to go back into the story, something that, um, again, some people know about but some don't is that when I was growing up, there was actually uh, some money troubles in my home. So my father had a, a workplace accident. He was a builder and uh, unfortunately uh, damaged his back and elbow and like uh, went to work one day as a carpenter and then the day after he would never be able to be a carpenter again. And he had all his uh, wealth in his business. He lost his business in that process and it led to some... Uh, I'll just say challenging times for my family. I won't go too deeply there, but there certainly were some circumstances in the home. But it was right at an age, a very, very formative age for me. Right, I was at those, uh, let's say, primary school years where you're soaking things up. And like because of that circumstance, I actually had like massive fears of money. So anytime I made money, I would be like Scrooge McDuck and just like not spend it and hide it. Every time I go to a restaurant, I'm like itemizing what things fucking cost, like trying to pick the cheap things on the menu. Every time I'd look for flights, it's like the cheapest ones ever. Hotel <laughs> yeah, rooms. Like it's all... <laughs> but it becomes very, uh, it becomes a lot to deal with, right? So people who have money problems like I did, it was definitely me. This is me I'm pointing out here is like you operate in the world viewing everything through a financial lens, like always looking for cheap, always trying to save a dollar, like always trying to go through that. And to be honest, this is one of the key things that was holding me back because in, in my business, I wouldn't hire staff. Because I'm like, well, mm. staff costs money. And then when I try and hire a staff member, I'll be like, well, I'll hire the cheapest one. So cheapest can, can you imagine a business where the business owner is like, I don't want to hire staff. And when I do, I'm going to hire the cheapest ones. <laughs> Quality <laughs> well, business. This is, this is exactly like what people <laughs> do with property managers, right? Like they choose the cheapest. Okay. So like you get it all the time. What's your rate? Well, sorry, my name, what's my name first? Like, what's your name? I don't even know if there's going to be a fit here. Um, and then the property managers just get that constantly day in and day out. And you don't know what a good property manager is until you've had a, had a bad experience with, uh, with one. Um, sorry, just bringing that back to property <laughs> a little bit there. Um, but yeah. So what, what were some of the other kind of, what were, some of the key takeaways that you took out of that, like that's a year of self-discovery. That's, that's pretty interesting. Actually, maybe what do the mechanics look like for that before? Like, what does it actually look like to have a year of, I'm going to sort my mindset out because I know it's going to return a far better yield in the, in the future. What does it actually look like? Yeah, so uh, uh, as all smart people do, right? You just go on the internet and start searching and learning, right? That's the game. Mm. No, I joke. It was just, um, the idea was I went and sought out programs that had good reviews. I thought I'll pick a couple of different programs that are well-reviewed and respectable names, see which ones I resonate with, and I'm just going to do as the ones that see fit. So there was a couple that really stood out to me in like uh, Dr. Martini's work. So um, yep. I'm a really big fan of Dr. Martini. He was substantially helpful. And then I, another company called MJB Seminars, probably a lesser known one, but a company from Perth substantially mm. helped me as well. So those two were some of the main ones that particularly in this realm helped me out. But I'll give you some of the things that like in this point in my life weren't obvious, but were like breakthrough things for me. So the whole idea is like I had uh, built up beliefs around like something had happened and then I made it negative. I'll be like, no, 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 a negative thing happened. And they're like, no, something happened. 
you decided it was negative. Mm. And I'm like, what do you mean? It's like, right, a thing just happened, right? It happened. You decided it was good or bad. And it took, it took me quite a while to get that. But once I did, mm. it's like uh, that was a really big breakthrough because I was like, well, wait, I'm angry about all this stuff that happened. It's like, but it was just stuff. It wasn't good mm. or bad. And like that was a huge mm. thing uh, for me. And then the, the second one, this is the one that like really like rocked me, was that it's uh, someone sat in front of me and like, Charlie, you see the things you've done in business? It's like if your parents didn't have those money challenges growing up, you never would have done it. The only reason you've got a business or do any of this property stuff today is because of that. Yeah, I, 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 I 100% relate to, um, to, to this. And I, I think Joe does a little bit. Maybe I don't want to sort of speak on his far, but it's, it's interesting. Like having, I, I wouldn't say I had a, a, as challenging sort of money, just challenges for different ways with my, I uh, grew up in a single parent household and, and sort of having a, having a parent who is, who turns off the lights, which because she's worried, they're worried that it's going to, sort of cost too much or sort of turns off and it's just inching that kind of mindset and and she did oh, and mum's done fantastically well or sort of quite quite well with with her kind of mindset herself but it's oh, just we're not, we're not grading our parents on love here let's be really clear like no, i lived no, in yeah. a very love filled home <laughs> yeah. and i am certain you did too but the money side yeah, yeah, of things yeah. makes it very very interesting yeah yeah and but um but you even sort of even now you you think uh you look up to these to, to parents as if they're gods because it, but they know exactly what they're doing um but and or even anybody really and and then just you all adults that <laughs> it's yeah. all adults you when you when you're 16 you're like 18 year olds they have it figured out when you're 18 25 year olds they're the ones they know what's happening up here yeah. everyone else above their nose 30 30 year olds and then you're like oh wait no one knows. No one has a clue. We are just a monkey on a spinning rock around the sun that makes no sense. What the heck are we? What is what is going on? No one has a clue. We're just we, all trying to figure it out. <laughs> we, we are going to talk property, but um, but, but it's interesting. We, talk, we got we got to that. I think mindset is deeper than than talking about the emotions. I think it's about processes as well. Because I was thinking about this myself. Because I'm like, how is mindset related to property? Because if you have a mindset of uh, everything will just take care of itself. Then you you will likely or if you don't have the mindset of oh yes I actually need to look into and sort of and feel free to disagree with me, um, but but you've actually I feel you've got a, a very well fi a fine tuned system that you you know exactly where you are uh, or you know pretty close to where you are and that enables you to then sort of go faster. Whereas if if you tried to buy ten properties in or eight properties in fifteen months or what I think that was what it was, I think if you try to do it without a, a very you didn't have the system up front, but over time you evolved that and then you had it. And now you know that you can sort of just run through it. Is that, is that sort of, am I hitting some key notes there or, or not really? I, I would agree with some of it, but then I would think about it a little bit differently. And I'll give you uh, an example mm. here. When, when the pandemic hit, right, and I'll go into one from here, there's literally the thoughts are crossing my mind that the world could end. Did, did either of you have that thought? Like, if this is going no, down, maybe I watched the movie Contagion too many times. I, wasn't, I don't know. I wasn't actually worried. I was just like, movie. cool, I get, I get to spend time at home. Like, this is, I go, well, actually, no, I'm very social. So it was a little bit hard. But after I got over that initial, I was like, oh, well, you know, she'll be right. Get back to it. Well, in my, in my circumstance, I'm, uh, I'm at an event in Sydney. I am a keynote speaker. And then I'm rushing out of this event to get on a plane to get home. People are terrified at the airport. 
someone would cough and it was like a ripple effect of uh, people like scared shitless. People mm. were panicking on the plane. Yeah, this was literally in the March of when things were happening. Now, I go home from that and then have the ability to pull the trigger on buying property in a potentially world-ending event. So mm. what I think becomes really interesting is when your mindset um, or your ability to get to that place is strong and you have good process is that when everyone's panicking, you're the cool hands that's be able to take advantage of opportunity. And that's certainly yeah. what we were able to do. And then at the other side of things, if you're someone who's uh, very emotionally driven, you're going to be one of those people that when like, right, property property's booming, all the headlines are growing, you're tending, the tendency is those are the groups of people that get flocked in to buy at the peak, right? So when your emotions control you, you tend to make more emotional decisions and I'm yet to find a quality investor that tends to say, yeah, I, I made it on my emotions, right? My 100%. emotions were the difference. This was actually going to be one of my questions because business and investing is a uh, it's a numbers driven game. It's a financial. It is purely if this then that numbers. If you look back at all your financial mistakes that you've made throughout the years, you'll see a clear point. Like I invested in the Bitcoin thing, Luna, which crashed. It was very clear looking back at that that it was not a stable coin. It was an unstable coin. It's going to crash off, but it's because I emotionally didn't. I covered up a couple of things in my due diligence from looking in that. Plus it wasn't property and that's what I'm good at. Um, but if you look back, it's all of the emotion that ruins your investing style. So I even actually, I caught myself today. I um, got a pest and building report done for a, for a property and I went through the list of things that were wrong. And I have a process, Jeff talking about a process, sorry to still, still, still some airtime here from you, Charlie, but um I have a process. It is review the contract, review the pest and building, put it down, pick it back up, and then quantify how much those things are going to cost. Because everything, every problem has a solution. It's just got a cost attached to it. Um, and then emotionlessly come up with that figure, and then you've got your problem. But what I did was I read the report, got all emotional, and then had a chat with the the agent about it. And that is not the right way to go about it. You've got to remove all of the motion and follow a, a systemized process. Um, well, not really a question there for you, Charlie. Well, I'll throw what, more into it. Yeah. Like, who, like we've all bought property here. Like I, I bought a property, did a subdivision. We got a valuation back of uh, like, it was, it was up like nearly half a million dollars. Right, so I'm sitting here and I'm like literally going, I've just made half a million dollars. And yeah. do you think my ego didn't get inflated and I'm sitting there go, look how fucking good I am. And then I'm calling my buyer's agent go, let's go again. Bye, bye. Let's go all day. And it's like, bye, bye. how ridiculous. Like that's the recipe to get ruined. Yeah. <laughs> so as yeah, soon as those right. emotions run hot or as soon as you start the idea of buying a property on realestate.com.au. It's not that you've worked out it's a good plan, it's the right time to buy. You've started from literally suburb hot spotting from Facebook group tips and past experiences. Like that's where the dangers of a poor mindset really lie. Mm, yeah, 100%. And that's one of the things that I wanted to, to talk to you about as well is you grew your portfolio from um, whatever it was, but you acquired assets incredibly quickly. And one of the things that I, I chat to people, it's like, oh, I'm not going to buy another one until this one settles. But you bought, bought multiple properties before the others settled. Like, how long were you planning this entire acquisition phase? Like, what did that look like before? Because pulling the trigger on a property, that's the easy bit. 
you can really mess up the planning up to that point. Like there, you've been investing in property for the last, you know, 10 years because you're building up to that point. Um, what is it? Yeah. What does some of that preparation and, and planning look like and how much went into that before you went, boom, let's do it. I, I love this analogy. I think it helps many people understand is that um, if you're uh, riding a bike, right, you only need a few dials to really be able to manage it. If you're in mm. a jet plane, you need a lot of dials to be able to manage it because you're going to be doing way more high risk and extreme stuff. So mm. when it came to what we attempted, I had, uh, well, in summary, is like I knew I was going to have a few good years in business where I was going to be able to take advantage of extreme borrowing power. And the way we went about acquiring our properties was to do it quickly to take advantage of those financial years and also mm. of uh, tax and how our books needed to be set up and everything. So when uh, we started to realize what was going to be possible, the first thing we dialed into was looking at the team who would be able to help us execute this. So we could get feedback from people that had done it before. So for example, um, our broker, for example, if he knew he was going to have to be lending one thing into the next is that we needed to make sure we weren't going to have anything in a position that would limit lending down the road. Or if we yeah. purchase a certain type of property that would then prevent us to go into the next one. So you had to be very like forward thinking. Um, mm. And then you also had to be very like strategic around that. So one of the things we've actually done in the last 12 months, um, which I'm again, it's like rather painful experience, but I'm so thrilled to have such a good team is actually refinancing because oh. we knew in going through the process of going fast, we were going to have to take on options that weren't ideal for the long term. So we would get a, ah. a loan with a lender because we could get it now and quickly. Very but then point. we knew a year later we're going to refinance it with someone else. Because yeah, but you're paying an extra a... percent or so on, in interest, but you get into that asset. Yeah, that's the price of speed. How's, how's that? Um, how's that process refinancing been? Has it, has it been just has it been really painful, or has it been okay because you've got a great team? Yeah, so one of the when you already do business with one bank and they have all your information, like that's a great thing because um, it could be easy. The challenge we rubbed up against is we ended up with like most of our lending with one bank, and that mm. wasn't something we were necessarily comfortable with, and it was also not something that was necessarily like best suited. But because yeah. again, wonderful broking team, and I suspect I actually think he's in the chat. Aaron, my wonderful broker, is in oh, the chat now. Yeah, okay. Aaron Wybrow, okay. what a legend. Um, <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, it's such a good dude and such a strategic thinker. So when we've been going through this refinancing uh, uh, side of things now, it's like actually separating some of the loans to be with different lenders to de-risk de with the lenders, get better loan terms or loan terms that we actually want. That's been a, a really big part of the last 12 months because uh, in a lot of cases, many people don't realize how much money they're leaving on the table through a poor financing strategy. Like it yeah. might be one of the Particularly things- Particularly where you've got 10 properties or whatever, or whatever it yeah. is, yeah. And what does yeah. actually what what does that look like in dollar terms? Obviously, like I don't know. Feel free not to answer that question. But how much of a saving have you made from a cash perspective by shuffling around a couple of papers with the banks to lower your interest rates? Like I imagine that's going to be sub substantial. Uh, let, let's just say every first Tuesday of every month when they're moving that percentage point, it affects me more than most people. <laughs> it's like that one, every one percentage move. It's like wow, this is not not a small amount. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so like it, it matters, right? But even little things like that, if you have uh, interest only loans versus P&I loans, like yeah. you can generally save a half a percent straight there if the property, uh, but then you sacrifice the cash flow. So you have to mm -hmm. be willing to make those terms. And then first tier lenders versus second tier lenders can have 
different rates as well. Um, for a lot of people, um, when it comes to financing, though, they're really it's being able to obtain the finance. So they may take a, a slightly worse interest rate or costing to get that deal. But then when you get your uh, properties to a lower LVR or higher income, you can seek more favorable opportunities as well. Um, has, has, it, has it been LVR or has it been income that's been able to enable you to refinance? So we actually haven't maxed out. We've never actually gotten to the point where we have maxed out our lending, um, yeah. which has been awesome and i'm still with the big four even now i've never had to uh seek uh alternate lending or uh, old doc lending now just for me personally right again this is one of those mindset things is like i go hey look if the banks won't give me money and it starts to become like old doc lending and they want to give me insurance like you know uh what is it lenders mortgage insurance it's like it's like should i really be taking a loan if that's my option like maybe they're giving me a hint that i should go make some more money like, not for you, right? <laughs> Where I love people that keep over overcoming things, but maybe you're getting hints that go and get some more income might be a better approach here or save up a bigger deposit or get to wait until the rents have gone up. So I think, that again, from my point of view, when I start to see things like that, it starts to fall into the land of we're taking more risk than is potentially necessary here. Mm. So, so it sounds like uh, as an investor, I, you're, you're, you're somewhat risk-averse. Would that, would that be... Correct or? I know it sounds pretty ridiculous that you, on one hand, we acquired uh, a substantial amount of properties on a run that is again, not common, but well thought out and very strategically done with an awesome team. But on the other side of things is like, I take my risk in business. Like the investing side of my life is actually the more boring side. So uh, mm. for a lot of people, it's like uh, to put into terms is like, I have a media company. I sell things that are invisible on the internet, right? Like that sounds pretty high risk to me. How often does Facebook change? Hourly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's like I look at that and go, this could all just disappear. Who knows? Like my dad was a builder. He went to work one day and had an accident and it disappeared for him. The way I do mm. property is I'm not willing to take on risk where my portfolio is in a position where it needed income from my business. So every acquisition we make and the way I approach uh, property is this thing's got to cover itself. It's at never an acceptable point for my property portfolio to not be self-sustaining because it is a business. Like who wants to have an accommodation? I'm like, Joe, I've got to sell you my accommodation business. We've, we're riddled with debt. Our income doesn't cover our expenses. Would you like to invest? doesn't sound like a good investment. Yet it's sold. There's tax benefits. Absolutely. You can claim them all. Can I, can, I, can, I, can I throw a bit of a contrarian because everybody has this perception that I'm, that I'm Sydney blue chip king and all that sort of stuff. And I'm not necessarily, I don't even own Sydney. I mean, technically I kind of do, but, well, but it's interesting. Though. <laughs> but um, but what, what about that kind of growth stock mentality, like your, your Amazons, your Netflix, your Teslas, who they, they, they don't have revenue or they, I mean, some of the, I mean, I think Amazon probably Tesla's now does Amazon's yeah. got a lot. But but for 10, 15 years, Profit. it was funded by by venture capital, I believe. It wasn't, it was a loss, it was loss maker. So how do you that's, kind of what are your thoughts on that? Right, that's such a good, such a good question, right? Let, let's pretend I've got an accounting job in the government, right? I've got like the most stable job in history. Yeah. Okay. It's uh, and I've got a 50-year contract in this terminology, right? So a 50 years guaranteed work in my accounting job from there. And I've got a great insurance policy. So if something goes wrong, I'll pay it out or whatever it is. If you're in that type of position where your income is so secure and certain 
and you're willing to take on negative gearing risk, I could understand it. I think it's a merited strategy for some people because in that type of position, you may not have the growth opportunities that you have with your income. Yeah. In my case, because my income is riskier, yes, I could earn substantial amounts more in some months or I can have months where I make nothing. That changes my circumstance over here. So I, I can see that both have the possibility to win, but you really need to think about your own situation. And then yeah. the thing that I would get many people to consider is like for myself, like I'm looking at this and like my, my whole uh, point of starting this was like, I want to be financially independent. I want to get to mm. the point where my portfolio can cover my living expenses. So that it doesn't matter if my business disappears. And if I want to do business and I enjoy that, well, great. Now it's just icing on the cake. This is just fuel and fun. And in many of the negative gearing strategies, I, I don't necessarily think they're focused on financial independence in the same way I am. So I think if uh, back to the whole point and start of my play stupid games, win stupid prizes, it's like, yeah. I look at it and go, well, if the thing I want out of this is to be financially independent, well, this is the strategy that best suits my situation. Could negative mm. gearing work for someone else? Awesome. Go for it. Just like I wouldn't start a SaaS startup and take on massive debt and risk to take on Amazon. Like that's not my game. For the guys that are out there doing it, have fun. I, I support you, but it's like, it's not what I'm going to do my way. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's very all wrapped up. And I think let's, um we're 40 minutes in. I feel like we haven't covered a lot of stuff, but that's okay. Well, I, I'm interested about the, the, the speed of which you went. And I know I kind of asked this question already, but what actually went into... Like, how did you plan out acquiring eight assets in 15 months? Like, what did that actually look like? Um, and what type of assets were they as well? Because I think that would give a bit of color to the to the situation because most people just can't buy. They just don't think like that. So I love the mindset behind it. You, you went into it hard and said, I know what I want. I want this end outcome. How am I going to get there? Well, I'm going to get my, well, your, your people, your team, your A team. And then we're all going to work together on this. But yeah, what, what were the kind of assets and how did you actually do it? Great question. So the first thing is, is like, why are this many assets? And it's like, that was mm. the number required to get to the goal. If it was one, That's I just would have bought one. If it's 40, yeah. I'd have 40. Like I couldn't, uh, again, outcome focused. I think mm. it's too much of a pissing uh, contest on how many people, how many properties people have. And it's like, mm -hmm. It doesn't really mean anything. That's one of those, uh, in my opinion, stupid games. It's yeah, like I'm that's, much that's more interested. Entirely. Yeah. So then the second part was, is like I looked at my situation. So I got my the income I have and our books and savings. And then I go, okay, what's the most efficient pass, path to achieving that with the risk I'm willing to take on? And uh, mm. I spoke to many people. Like I didn't land on, like I didn't, you know, meet a broker down the street go, I'm going to use this guy and then go, oh, what's a buyer's agent and pick the first one. Like I interviewed many, I went and understood their different approaches and why they would work or suggest things versus others. And then ultimately the thing that um, I really resonated with was the idea that if you could buy certain assets that created a positive cash flow, still wanted it to be a growth asset, we're playing this hybrid game that every asset I would acquire wouldn't slow down the borrowing because the borrowing is going to be the thing that ultimately stops people. So if I went a heavily negatively geared strategy, I would have got stopped at two or three. And then we would have had to pause. But if I was acquiring assets and leaving a big enough deposit from business profits, 
that this would actually like turn into a multiplier. The thing we didn't expect though is that we caught, a, we were right before the COVID boom. So as we were going into this, all my properties started getting valued up and up and up and rents started climbing at the same time. So we actually got to shorten the timeline. So every time right. I was going back to the broker or going back to Aaron being he's on there and, and did an excellent thing, he's like, he wasn't saying no. Like it, it was almost, yeah. we were saying no because we were like, feeling like we're in a washing washing machine from like going from one property invest to the next, or this one's got to settle. And like, it was a, a, a very interesting time to be doing what we were doing. And again, we were thinking that uh, this time's going to scare a lot of people. There's going to be a lot of people out there that aren't going to seize these opportunities because they're dealing with the series of the work. So we, we kind of saw it as like, this is our advantage. Like us being in a position to act while so many people are, uh, in disarray or fearful, like that's where the best opportunities were to come. And like, we did incredibly well from that. I, um, you, you, there's a couple of things. And I think I know the answer to one of these is the, the elf. It sounds like on those eight purchases, you weren't comfortable going above 80% LVR. Um, so you sort of kept it, uh, wanted to keep below that. And the second one is you mentioned about yield that would keep, keep and able you to keep on borrowing. So what was that sort of magic, and there's not really a magic number, but let's, let's pretend there's a magic number. What number were you looking at and LVR, you wanted it below 80 from the sounds of it? Yeah, so um, one, one of the things I really like to do is like put rules in place that, that stop mm -hmm. me from me. Because uh, like I've, I'm... Great idea. Can't, I can't be trusted, right, at times. Yeah, so like I ask myself the question, like when we look at property, the temptation to get stupid with lending is high. So high. Ah. It's ridiculous, right? And I'm like, oh, 95% equity out from one to the other. Wait, well, you can go to this bank and get this valuation and this one over here, we can kind of like, I, I, we, I'm i sure we've all been there. I, I'm still mm -hmm. in there. And I, I went like, what can I put in place where it's like, it will be really hard if I follow these rules to mess up badly. And I said, all right, number one, I'm not gonna pick any of the properties. I'm gonna pay a professional who does this for a living I'm very good at what I do in my work. I want someone who's very good when it comes to picking these properties because that way I'm attaining all the experience and knowledge and know how they have. So I'm always using a buyer's agent. Like I am the worst. I get on real estate. I'm even worse because I send my buyer's agent and mortgage broker properties I find. I'm like, boys, we should buy this. Look at this thing here. And they're like, this is ridiculous. I'm sure they charge me extra just for the bullshit that I send them and have to deal with, but that's fine. Um, so like that was rule number one is like, I didn't want to uh, have something that I'm not an expert in, particularly with picking a property when the risk of buying a lemon is so high. Yeah. Right? So, rule number two, use people that have done it before. Right. So when it, um, one of the things that I loved about Aaron particularly is like, he understood me as a business owner, like in a ridiculous way where I felt many of the brokers I'd worked with had more worked with people with employment. So business yeah. owners, we're, we're a unique breed. I'm not going to say better. We're definitely not better. We're just different. So we need people there's, that there's no good understand. Or bad. Different. Very exact on that one. Um, so that was another one we really brought in place was like using people that had done it. And it's like fascinatingly substantially easier when they can go, oh, this is what I did for the last person. Here are the steps. Yeah. So using experience was another one. Number three is that um, for every property, 20% deposit plus buying expenses that I come up with from my business profits. I do not use equity. 
So we're talking stamp duty, we're talking legals, all that all stuff comes from. Sorry, what was that? Well, just go. Yeah. So you've got to have a twenty percent deposit. So whatever, let's yep. if a property is a million bucks, you've got to have two hundred grand plus the stamp yeah. duty plus the buyer's agent fees plus anything that will get it to purchase and a buffer uh, to put in the offset account. So that when you've purchased that asset, like you're literally putting like uh, probably the equivalent of thirty percent down. Now, if you're putting thirty yeah, percent down on every asset, like I've got to go and earn that thirty percent to make that deposit. And if I don't have that, I won't actually buy. But then on the other side of things, if you're leaving this substantial of a deposit, well, the cash flow is higher because you own more of your property than someone who borrows 100%. And then for borrowing onto the next one, it becomes easier because I'm not like creating substantially more things. Now, again, I'm not saying these rules are for other people to take on or as their own. Like these are things I put in place to uh, for me to protect me from me. Now, I'm sure we can agree. Like if you look at these rules, it's like, Charlie, it's getting harder to fuck this up. Now you do have to go <laughs> earn a substantially amount more money, but it's like yeah. you will likely prevent doing some crazily stupid things that could lead to wipeout, which was yeah. my indication from there. And and yeah. it also, there is some inherent uh, risk mitigation built in because let's just say, I mean, you, if, if you bought a property in, in a market, I mean, if you've got your, your professional on board, let's just say for whatever reason, a professional recommended buying in Sydney in, I don't know, or Sydney, Melbourne, even Brisbane in say, in a market that was overcooked in, in sort of March or April, May this year. And, and suddenly now that particular property is now maybe worth 5, 10, 15% less, which over the long term, yes, hopefully it recovers, but you, you're then sort of, you're not, and if you're buying at 95% LVR, if you're buying at 90%, you're potentially underwater. And then if you sort of if you if you lose your job or if your business, if, if the internet stuff disappears, then you potentially have to sell for what you less than what you pay. Whereas if you've got that deposit, yeah, you're more comfortable. So risk mitigation is, is massive very important. risk mitigation. Super. Absolutely. I, super I like great. sleeping well at night. Right? This is yeah. a part of the thing. And it's like I think sleep at night factor. And I know many people, and I can already see the tra- the chat erupting of all the people telling Literally. me they could have gone further. And guys, congrats, you go do it. I'm like, I'm yeah. 33 years old. I'm financially independent and my life is freaking awesome. So like, I'm and good. WRX. <laughs> and I do ridiculously dumb things with my money. There you go. <laughs> um, but here's a great question that's come up. It's all about holding for 20 years and not getting blown up in the interim. Um, that is- you can ride the bumps. Yeah. Yeah. Not that there's been many bumps. There's been, well, actually, maybe let's talk about some of the bumps in uh, along the road um, that have gone for you. Like before, if the portfolio and, you know, current, like during and, and now that you have it, like it would be cool to talk to some of these because it sounds like it sounds really great. Like it's gone really well and it's been a smooth, easy ship. Like what are some of the challenges that you've had along the journey? Yeah, well, I mean, I said I'm 33 and I look about 43, right? Like it's done done some miles. Much younger than me. <laughs> yeah, so it's interesting that one of the things I find is like I feel like a lot of the things I learned in business and through a very hard school of knocks just applied straight over to um, property, right? So like, I again, property is a business. Like it really is. Everyone out there who's doing this stuff, you have an accommodation business. Like it's one and the same. Like I think of us all as uh, fellow business owners from here, but it's like, guys, my yeah. first two years in business, I, I didn't make any money. 
right? And even worse, I lost money at times just through like ignorance and a whole bunch of things. So that that was where I, I certainly learned more of my so heart. You got your scrapes things. and your bruises and your bumps. Yeah, like absolutely. So I think the diligence and things I learned in that world have just crossed over into this one uh, substantially. And like, Joe, for you, I can only imagine you've been doing property stuff and then you go to business and you're like, holy crap, it's the same stuff. Like it, <laughs> yeah. it's a different business model, yes, but it's like many of the things you would think about, whether it's pricing, hiring team, working with people, financing, like it all comes and crosses over into that world as well. Yeah. Yeah. And this is what I love about your story as well, is that you didn't fall for the the traditional traps of things that people mess up at the beginning where they over leverage, they get too much uh, LVR, like they have low LVR and they, um, you know, mess up, they get cross collateralized because they go with the, the broker down the road. They, they do all of these things. You've come in with this as a business mindset to say, I need a, I need a financial outcome and I'm not just leveraging the asset. I'm not leveraging the bank's money. I'm also leveraging human capital and I'm going to leverage the best mortgage broker. I'm absolutely going to get the best mortgage broker. I'm going to get an amazing buyer's agent. I'm going to get an amazing accountant. And if those three people, well, and well, did you have any other team members? Solicitors, right? Um, If those four people aren't communicating each other, like it's not going to work. So I need to make sure that they're all meshing well. Um, One of the other questions I have um, is around the questions that you ask your professionals to get the best out of them to identify, you know what, that, that guy's good. I, I need to, I need to um, have a conversation with him. Were there some key questions to, let's just start with a mortgage broker, for instance, and then maybe rattle off the rest of the team. I'll tell you the story of how I met Aaron, right? It's like, I actually spoke to Aaron today. He's like, this one is of a the, love story um, dedicated to Aaron. This is Aaron. Pop the link below. It's <laughs> <laughs> business here. This is great. <laughs> yeah. So um, I was actually uh, a keynote speaker at a mortgage broker mastermind event. So I had gone to this event to teach some business owners about the things I was doing online. And it was a group full of mortgage brokers. Now at this point, I didn't know the mortgage industry well, or even the property game that well. Now I I spoke at this event and like, I noticed something that in the room, it's like, what tends to happen is there's magnets. And what I mean by that is like, when you go to an event, you'll notice certain people attract people towards them. Like the groups will hover around them and like, they be the one that people go to. You'll also notice that certain people in a room get asked the questions because they're like perceivably the ones that have the answers. And it it became pretty clear to me at that event. It was like, I think Aaron is the one they're trying to learn some stuff from. Like his people are asking him things. He's not one of the ones asking questions. He's one of the ones receiving questions. And uh, me and Aaron literally met doing barefoot bowls in some like hipster place in Melbourne. And it was fascinating to me that when I left that event, I was like, this is the dude I want doing my broking. Like, this is the guy. And I think when you can find those types of people in the industry, these are the ones operating on the absolute edge. And these are the people that can make all the difference. Now, you asked a really good question about like when you're trying to form like your wealth team, which I think everyone should, right? You should have a, a wealth team around you. Like what are the things I would ask or potentially do it? The first thing is like, how have you helped people that are in my situation? Right, this is the most important question. Like someone might have, I've done, you know, heaps of 10 property portfolios. Yeah, all the billionaires kids, right? Yeah, easy, right? It's like, okay, cool. Yeah. What about for business owners if you're a business owner? Or what about like I understand 
there's particular lending policies if you're in medical or if you're in the defense force. Like I think if you are in a certain or specific circumstance, you want to make sure that your team has done this before. They're not learning on you. This is just like, cool, I've just got to do what I did last week for this person this week. Right? I think that is the most powerful questions you can ask your team and that's like who you should be seeking after. Um, the second thing I'll say is that like this group is amazing. I've met some really cool uh, people in the Oz Property Investors groups and, and many I would now call friends. Right? And I look at it and go, ask them who they use. Like build your shortlist just purely off that. And like I think there is an amazing opportunity for people to upgrade the team they have and get a substantially better result through kind of following a method like that. And if, um, can, can, can I jump in and say, if there are amazing people we haven't interviewed yet, um, we're always looking for guests. So if there's somebody, I mean, buyer's agent might be able to push for that. Um, I'll chat to Joe <laughs> about that. But, um, but back, back to- um, Yeah, but, yeah, but why not? Way... Joe, Joe's a great buyer's agent for the people that Joe can service, but there'll be ones that aren't Joe's cup of tea, right? And Joe probably won't want to work with them. And maybe they specialize in things that Joe doesn't do. Yeah, so I mean, Polisi is one, well, one I mean, example. here's a prime example, actually, is Steve Polisi, you know, commercial property buyer's agent. Um, load him up. You know, he's perfect. He's going to be the best man for that for that job. Um, as, as, speaking thing, of um, Steve Polisi. <laughs> what is, what is, he, is, he, is he in the chat, is he? No, it, we've got to run an ad for him. Oh, okay. <laughs> so let's, <laughs> let's do that. Um, and, then we, and then we can... Um, and then we can jump in a little bit more with this. Um, I'm keen to unpack a bit more. The amazing thing with commercial property investing is that in most cases, it's cash flow positive from day one, which means that you can drive those profits towards paying down the debt. There are instances with commercial property investing where you can actually have the property pay itself off over 10 years, which is absolutely crazy. With commercial property, you get massive net yield. So you can expect anywhere between six to 10%. And as we've seen in the current boom, these properties not only provide large cash flow, they do certainly grow wildly in value too. Now with big rewards comes some risk. And this is why you should de-risk your investment as much as possible. And the way you do that is with expert due diligence. And this is why we highly recommend people hire professionals to help you along in your investing journey. Steve Polisi of Polisi Property is one such expert. Being a chartered mechanical and structural engineer in a past life, Steve draws on his analytical and mathematical skills to do that expert due diligence for you. With six years experience in the space, Steve has over 1,200 property transactions under his belt. He's the guy you want in your corner, crunching the numbers and finding the best properties in the best locations, along with ensuring that you avoid the mistakes. Steve has actually even written the book on commercial property investing in Australia. And not only is it a bestseller, I believe it to be the most comprehensive in commercial property investing on the market today. He's been generous enough to give us a massive discount for our audience of 50%. So use the code OZPROP, click the link below, get a copy today and start learning and getting on your commercial property investing journey. Here we go. So the um, on, on Aaron as well, he's, I've got a bit of a quick sort of quick anecdote. Um, I've used I've used Aaron. I'm not, not necessarily going to be a super love fest on it, but um, he's one of the he's one of the he's one of the few brokers I've used a couple of brokers in my time, and he actually kind of followed like he said he would follow up in a couple of months, and he actually did it. I was like, wow, 
you, you're falling through and saying what you, you're doing, what you say. <laughs> hey, well, customer and, service hasn't gone out of fashion, has it? Like, no, no, know. but typically, though, a in broker, some brokers, it has. <laughs> oh, most, I would say. I mean, not, not all, but I mean, maybe I've just, but he kind of, I mean, obviously, obviously he sort of, that's the type of client, customer that he wants to uh, nurture. But um, I've had cus- I've had brokers who haven't sort of reached out in, in a year or two years, which is what essentially they're being paid trial for. So it's sort of refreshing to have somebody actually say something and then follow up with it. So if anyone reaches out to Aaron and the team, he's got an amazing team behind him as well. Say Oz property sent you and I want, I want to know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We don't get paid for that. But um, But yeah, and we don't get anything. We don't get paid for that, but we get, we get brownie points. (laughs) I I actually, I actually do, right. He's a sponsor of full stack business owner. So thank you, Aaron. I appreciate your sponsorship. I'll get you a plug here. Yeah. Yeah. I think think the thing about sponsors though, is I I wouldn't, we wouldn't have, we get, we get approached probably once we we wouldn't have somebody we wouldn't personally a use ourselves or be feel comfortable other people using. So I think that's kind of, I mean, otherwise we wouldn't have them. That's was the only reason we got two sponsors at the moment. And plus we just want integrity as well. But getting back to property and, and investing, I want to hear, because I think there's a story since you've been on last and it was August, I looked it up. We did the live session with you last. Amazing that it's been 13, 14 months since that time. But wow. um, what have you what have you been doing the last uh, four, 13, 14 months, um, Charlie? What have you been up to? Been buying or you've been sort of consolidating or what's, what have you been up to? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Though we went on this huge run, and like we have actually purchased one more in Western Australia since then. So, uh, from my perspective, we got in at really good timing before a lot of the East Coast kind of boomed, and then it's had this amazing like follow-on effect where we got we got some outrageous deals we couldn't get again. Now, personally, yeah. I saw some value in WA that we bought that a, a little while ago. Now. I see some huge opportunity there. Obviously, I'm not picking locations, but I, I love WA. And honestly, I would live there. I think it's an amazing place. Um, since there, though, apart from that other purchase, one of the things we've been doing is actually improving our properties. So we, ah. we're doing the... Yeah, I feel like this gets missed by a lot of people. So we uh, like we don't buy brand new properties, in a, like rarely. Most of the homes we've got are, are more established. And it's been very interesting that when we've done the maths on things is like, Often we can get a better return on our money by upgrading a property than we could if we bought a new one. Like the return on that dollar has been substantial. And uh, whether it's a new kitchen or an air conditioner or whatever needs to happen to increase rents, I think this is something that people don't necessarily think through. So from our perspective, we've kind of gone round to all our properties and gone, what can we upgrade to increase rents, which then increases income, which then puts us into a position to be able to buy more. So we're kind of doing the loop of making sure everything's in the right place. And I, I mentioned so the refinancing before as well. Yeah. So it's not about equity growth. You know, everyone thinks of a renovation to grow the equity base. You're saying, no, no, I want to put ten thousand, five thousand dollars in or six thousand dollars in to get an extra fifty dollars a fifty dollars a um a week. Yeah. So the rough maths is if you can spend a hundred thousand dollars on a property and it goes and the rent can go up a hundred dollars a week the debt the payment would technically cover the debt at about i think it was like three for four percent rates but when we started to like look into it is like there was certain opportunities where you might be able to in equivalence of that ratio you might spend a hundred thousand dollars but you could get the rent up two hundred dollars a week like there was far mm. outsized returns and like that's why the granny flat strategy and many others are often looked at in those ways 
So uh, one of the things I think that is quite substantial is that if you are able to make those types of upgrades to your properties or do things better, I think there's some significant opportunities. Plus, it's great for the tenants. They're getting upgrades as well. Such a great You're running a business. That, exactly right. Like this is another point of this is how you run a business. Um, you look at what is the purpose of this? What do I need from this property? I need new cash flow because that's going to allow me to borrow more to be able to get into another asset. Let's do it. So that's probably Not been question. the big three. That's Not where we've been spending our time. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I, I wanted to ask you some, oh, Joe, do you have a question or are you about to bring something up? I, I thought he was about to bring up when he, when he looks down. I think I think he's looking at the screen to see if there's a. I think there's a question coming, but um, I, I wanted to speak about some of the big sort of um, trigger points that when, when people hear these words, they they kind of start throwing things around: interest rates, inflation, and and debt levels. What what do you when you when you because you've you alluded to earlier in the show when every first Tuesday of the month you sort of start to dread it. But how do you how do you feel about rising interest from a mindset perspective? How do you feel about rising interest rates? I mean, inflation you don't really have too much or you don't have control over interest rates either, but it, it kind of feeds into. And how do you? Yeah, feel I'd love about, to unpack all all of those. Yeah, what yeah. do you think about all three of those? I'm not saying you throw out a prediction because even economists get it horribly wrong. So what do you? How do you feel about? How do you? That? How do you yeah. How do you think about interest all, rates? It's a knowable risk. Like it's, it's a really interesting thing. It's like, I, I like personally, I don't enjoy rates going up. I don't think anyone does, right? Like let's, let's cut around that. But it's something where, you know, the possibility of that happening would, was there, but I don't think anyone expected it to happen so quickly. Like, and even for myself, when you go through that, it certainly rocks you to a degree, but where mm. we were calculated is because of the rules we had in place is that we've got significant buffers and deposits put in where we are less affected by that. So the first thing I do is like, thank you previous Charlie for not getting stupid with debt. Because yep. if you did, like these are the moments where you could come undone and be brought into a forced sale. So I don't think anyone knows what's happening with rates. I think everyone needs to uh, decide what they're comfortable with that will allow them to sleep at night. Because I suspect there's investors all around the country that are certainly feeling the pinch and the stress about this going, oh, maybe I'll have to sell an asset like re and reconsidering things or just taking unfavorable positions. And I think that can hurt a lot of people. The other side of it is, is like um, one of the reasons I set my position up like I do is like quite conservative is because when carnage comes, that's when the opportunities are. So if rates get to 10%, right, it's the guys who can yeah. buy then that make the killing. It's yeah. not the guys that um, had to sell. So I think there's a bit of a like a reframe opportunity for people in going like, am I positioned to seize opportunities if carnage comes out? And I'm not saying you should uh, pray for disaster zones or anything, but history tells us they come. And when they are, are you going to be the one that's ready to pull the trigger on that? So for me, I want to be in a position to do those types of things. So risk mitigation things from there. Now, um, mm. not being in too deep where things like interest rates like rock you, I think critical. And if you're in one of those positions, like take it as a learning moment of going, I don't like this is happening. I'm going to work through this here. And then next time this comes around, I'm going to be ready. Because I, I, I tend to think that anybody who, well, not anybody, I, should, I don't want to be too disparaging, but where interest rates were at uh, the cash rate was at 0.1%. That's a, that was emergency levels. That was kind of, that was pandemic kind of, that was temporary. That was very unlikely to stay 
at that level for very long. And and yes, they did say 2024 it wasn't going to go up. But I, I think, yeah, a lot of people, I think you're on the money where you said that expect, uh, people expected it would go up, but it has gone up probably a little bit quicker than what people thought. Um, okay, and, so let's, and, just, let's just start back that one. It's like, does anyone know where interest rates are going to go? Well, I, th- I, I suspect that they're not done rising for the time being. Yeah, that's a suspicion though. But th- like my answer is, who knows? So I yeah. look at it and go, well, how can I prepare for who knows? Well, I, yeah. if it goes up, I could have buffers, and if it doesn't, well, I'm making more cash flow. That's the yeah. position mm-hmm. you want. It's not yeah. to go, oh, they've said till 2024. Money. I'm going to take their word on it and then bitch and moan when it doesn't go my way. Right? I, I, like, I thought I thought that was, I was a bit. I was a very uh, I was very skeptical about when they kept saying that. I mean, I, I yeah, and and but that goes back to if something happens to me, it's not me it's me getting upset about it it's me deciding to be upset about that and go on the internet and bitch and moan about it or i could be like oh great okay they're going up what can i do what do i need to do what are the action steps that i need to take to get into a point where i'm able to afford these and like i imagine you've got your amazing wife bianca she's an accountant who has helped immensely on this journey i imagine you guys were sitting down running what if what if rates go to six what if rates go to seven and factory i'm just laughing the amount of nights we spent on the couch with the like literally the whole thing mapped up from three to three and a half to four to four and a half and like it was great except uh, at the same time i just like became very very awareingly of like what every move was because i'm like (laughs) well where's the neutral point like it what and the day philip lowe gets up and says this is the rate i want to know when i'm neutral i don't want to be walking through life not knowing that and it was like it's the uncertainty now we we're still well and truly positively geared, and I'm I'm thrilled that we've made the decisions we have. But it's like I knowing that type of information and forecasting those types of scenarios um, certainly helped us stay less emotional. If mm-hmm. I wasn't aware, like if I was running around not clear on if I'm uh, close to neutral or if I'm negatively geared or if I'm positively geared, how can I possibly make a decision on like what's my right next move? And uh, I absolutely will say a massive thank you to Bianca um, for the hours she put into all those scenarios and spreadsheets that we uh, went through because it, it informed us in a way where we were able to go through this time in the least turbulence possible. I love that. Yeah. So it's such, and I knew that that was going to be the answer that you guys spent many, many hours. And this is like, what are some of the challenges that you've been through? Maybe that's not a challenge, but it's a sacrifice that you've had to make to be able to get to where you are. You can't just go out there and buy 10 properties in 15 months or eight properties in 15 months. It has to be a systemized process of going about it. And you need to make sure that you're spending many hours making sure you get it right. And again, have the, have the right team around you. Like it's just not going to happen otherwise. It's just not going to have those good sorts. Yeah. So, and uh, what, the other the other thing I think uh, you mentioned this last time you, you that I love that you guys do you have uh, you mentioned another podcast I've heard as well you have weekly or fortnightly cash flow sort of statements is that that's that's what you sort of have isn't it? Uh, so um, I, I've been I've been doing business a, a long time now, right? I've been in business ten years, and one yeah. one of the things that happens, right? Do you ever notice that like when if you're I'll use this from a property perspective, do you ever notice that when you go for a drive, you're very much looking at every house as an investment? Like it starts to be the way you view the world, right? I look at it now. I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I, I just do it now and I'm, I haven't bought it in a little bit, but yeah, I just love it. Yeah, like where a lot of people would just go, oh, that's a really beautiful house, right? Where I'm like, oh, what's the yield on this thing? 
right? You know, like it's 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 natural or a business owner will go into a business and they imagine if it was their business, how they run it. They don't see what other people see. So we all develop like our own frames of how we see the world. So um, uh, well, where I've forgotten where I was going on that point. What was the question again there? About uh, with, with cash flow sort of reports, uh, like you, you yeah, get them okay. weekly, fortnightly or monthly? Yeah, so I Bianca's quite strong in business and I'm quite strong in business. Um, so what we decided is we were going to run our home like a business because we understood it. So we have a weekly meeting for our home. We have uh, a, like a budget. We have things in spreadsheets. Like we run our home like it is a business. Okay. What is it? Yeah. What does that look like? Like, what does that actually mean? I run my home like a business. Um, <laughs> I don't you, know. <laughs> okay. So in my, like, we'll call it my active business, my media company, right? We have weekly meetings. We have finance reports. Like there's to-do lists, we assign priorities, like all the things that would go to functioning and running the management of the business. So we look to take those things and bring them into our personal life because it gives us a good frame of reference. Like everything makes sensible to me anyway. Maybe Bianca just puts up with my uh, nonsense. But it's like if I try and run the home like a home, it's like I don't really know what to do. But it's like if we think yeah. of how can we run this household like a business, it's like, sweet, let's get a weekly meeting in. Let's keep a spreadsheet running. Let's do a budget. Let's have a forecast. Right? I'm like, I got this. I worked it out. And it just gives us a way to function in our home in a way that works for us. I'm by no means saying that that is for everyone or yeah. that other people would do it, but it's certainly simplified my life. Well, it's kind of it's kind of the the David Go- I don't say David Goggins, but somebody it's like uh, Jack Jacob Wilnick. Will, I've butchered his name, but discipline equals freedom. Um, it's it's kind of you've you've got that sort of process and structure in place, and you don't even have to think too much about it. It just comes in, or it gets processed. You have the numbers in front of you. Whereas if you didn't, if interest rates well, they have gone up two and a half, sort of two and a half ish percent. You sort of need sort of be thinking, well, crap, am I going to be okay tomorrow? Am I going to be able to send the kids to, to that school or whatever it is? Because you don't know, whereas you know exactly what position you're in at any one time, which I think is, uh, if you want to scale as quickly as you have, I think it's absolutely vital to have those, have those systems in place. It's certainly, we found it to be very useful. Again, not for everyone, but uh, very, very helpful on our front. Yeah. yeah, and and there's there's my there's small points that you can go to that as well. Like you don't need to yeah. go to the accountant level of of what you guys do. You can have quarterly weekly date nights where you say how much like where is all the money gone? Um, you know, just have a conversation openly. How much did we spend this month? How much money yeah. have you got left in your account? How much money have you got left in your account? Okay, great. So we've saved two thousand dollars this month. That's amazing. Um, how can we save two thousand one hundred next week, next month, whatever it is? I think there's, there's varying degrees of it. Um, and you guys, yeah, we, we do have a lot of fun as well. I will say, I don't want to say no. like, we're just like completely. Well, you guys definitely on. do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, we, uh, if anyone follows me on social, you will see, we have a very fun life and I get to enjoy that. Like we have a lot of fun hobbies. We get to go up to a lot of uh, fun things. Like it is a good life. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, one of the questions I have now, this is kind of taking it off a little bit of a track here, but we've got a lot of people in this group that are business owners um, and then a lot of people that aren't business owners and that they're kind of just starting out their investing journey. So let's just say magically, all of a sudden you are a PAY and this is going to be a hard hat for you to put on because it hasn't been placed on you for over a decade. But let's say you're a PAYG, you're just starting out in your investing journey, you have $120,000. Like, how would you get started in the property investing world? And what are some of the things that you would kind of think about and then try and build 
portfolio in you know this day and age and yeah yeah so uh, i'm i'm actually a high school dropout right i didn't go to university and have a career path that would enable me to earn good money in a payg opportunity uh, so um, I, I actually did a plumbing apprenticeship of all things and, and was a registered plumber for a period of my life. Now, um, the, the point I make there is like for me, when I looked at the outcomes I wanted for my life, so I said, well, look, when I have kids, I want my wife not to have, uh, to have the option not to work. I also uh, want to be able to be financially independent. I don't want to be waiting till 65 for retirement. And when I started to think about the outcomes I want, then I started to think about the things that would enable me to have that. Now, if a PAYG would have done that, I would have done it. Like I'm a very mm. outcome person uh, focused point. So if you're like, if you were in the ability to earn well in a PAYG, I'm not against it. It just wasn't the path that was available to me. Now, yeah. what I find very interesting, uh, I shouldn't say it wasn't available. It just didn't seem available, right? This just seemed like the way to do it for me. It seemed like a great option and I took it. Um, what's interesting today is I think in many organizations, there's a thing called an intrapreneur. So this is where I know of people that are technically employed, but they don't have a ceiling on what they can earn. Like if they're willing to put in the extra effort and be rewarded based on outputs, they can do incredibly well. So if you're someone who's in a PAYG, I'd be seeking out those types of opportunities where you don't have caps on earning. I look at it and go, the challenge many people will come up against in property if they want to achieve things like I have done is the income component. Yeah. And if yeah. you want to be able to do those things, it's the income component you've got to be able to get after. Now, if your yeah. career path or PAYG doesn't support that, you need to start looking at what will. And like sales mm. as a career is example. Like if I was going to go back in time and knowing what I know about sales right now and some of the, like I have friends who are salespeople and it's like, wait, wait, wait. You're telling me you can sit on Zoom calls all day and close people and make like 350 grand a year? It's like, yep. Mm. I'm like, sign me up. Like that I'll is exactly what it, yeah. Like, cause you are not dealing with a lot of the challenges of business in other ways. So there's paths out there like that, that I think are phenomenal opportunities, but great, uh, overwhelmingly, and this is where I will throw some of my biases, like business is the untapped. It's where you can come and like the earning, it's high risk, it's hard, it's challenging, but the earning potential is huge. Now, mm. if you're someone who's like, well, look, I'm not really up for that. I'm on my 120 grand a year. Cool. You just have to accept you're going to have to do it slower. Like yeah. you're not, your, your time delay to where you get is like you're going to use time and compounding differently than I would. Yeah, and then you're going to potentially need a more active strategy where you value add to properties, where you lift, where you put on a granny flat, where you add an extra, you subdivide and split off a land to sell off, sell off the front, sell off the back, or whatever it is, to be able to allow you to do that. But it's such a good point. One tip that that I realized got, talking about that, right? I've been in sales my entire life for 14, 14 odd years, and um, I had you're only fourteen that, years that, old, Joe. Whatever. Sorry. whatever however old i am and um actually it must have been yeah okay i need to redo those numbers <laughs> um but the biggest thing is i started out doing door-to-door -door sales making a hundred dollars a sale and what i realized is in the sales aspect you want to be dealing with larger things so i went into like uh, tech enterprise sales and we made hundreds million dollar deals hundreds of thousand dollar deals and that's what helped you know, obviously when you're dealing with a larger product, you get more of a return on that. So if someone is interested in sales, don't just look at 
the basic return. Look at what the business is and how much value you as a person add to that um, business and what the revenue is earned and the profit earned. Because then if you look at the high value stuff, you're going to get more of a better return. So um, it's, it's interesting though, Joe, because real estate agents who sell property um, don't actually get as much. Oh, I mean, I suppose they don't earn as much commission. So yeah, you're right. You, you are right. It's all about well, how much. I mean, they sell with. million dollar assets and they make 2%. Um, and exactly what Charlie's talking about here. Like you can be a, a real estate agent that is in a franchise um, and you're underneath a, another agent. You've got to pay a large percentage, like yeah. 50% of your uh, commission to that person, to the owner yeah. of the business. But you don't have to run the business whatsoever. You just do your your area of expertise and just follow that. I'm good at sales. I'm just going to do sales. I don't want to deal with accounting and finance and employing people and dealing with all the all of that stuff. And we'll I feel like we're taking on all the risk. I feel like we've gone off track a little bit here. Um, I think but, it's on track. Um, oh, good. Um, but I'd be interested in like the asset types that you're kind of buying. Can you talk to that a little bit? Because I feel like it's good to understand the types of things that you're buying. You kind of hinted a little bit, but what, what do these properties look like? Yeah, so I keep, I, just to lean into that, let's say someone is on a PAYG and 120 grand a year and they got to use developments to go. What's the challenge with developments is it might take two years to do one project. It will. Right? Because of the income, I can do how many in that same time? So th this is where it's like the time thing becomes a part of it. And I'm not saying you can't do well-added developments. It's just the time horizons on those types of things becomes different. And that's what you want to know before, not after. Yeah. So mm -hmm. they're things to weigh out. So for me, if, if you're trying to go fast... Right, you've got to be buying established and like ultimately things the banks like to increase lending. So when you're looking at it from there and like uh, we've certainly danced where we might do uh, a higher yield property and then we might go a higher growth property and then we might go a higher yield property and then see what the portfolio needs to keep going and, and keep approaching it in that way. Or property pairing I think is some of that strategy. But uh, one of the things we very much keep in mind is like what's the impact on the cash flow of the portfolio with this purchase and then what's the impact on lending with this purchase because if it's going to create a max out of it you may not make that move yeah such a such a great point there because some people are like oh i have a nine hundred thousand dollar borrowing capacity so i'm going to buy a nine hundred thousand dollar asset but the problem is with a $900,000 asset, the cash flow just isn't there to support that property. But if you break it down into two properties, you're going to have a potentially more cash flow positive outcome um, that's going to be a little bit more favorable. Now, the only thing is you don't want to just drop too far down. You don't want to be buying you know, $250,000 assets because they're... See, I would disagree with that though. We made, Early Ooh. on, right, we bought some like $900,000 properties that had like eight and a half, nine percent yields because that's good, what was good. available at that time. Like is market, it, was, it, was, that, uh, was that a duplex kind of property? Very good. Uh, one of them was a, so on that one particular, we had one with a granny flat that did that in like regional uh, New yeah. South Wales, yeah. um, which was a great one there. But then those properties all uh, had risen and then different opportunities present. Like it just seems to be the flavor right now that price being lower and yield being higher is kind of more common. But at the same time is I've seen unit blocks that are a couple of mil or uh, commercial properties that are more expensive that have higher yield. So it's like, I wouldn't say that's universally a, a pricing rule that appears. It seems to be that's like true. market cycle that that is more and appropriate. I, and I, th I think we've, um, we've, we've, pro uh, we've suburbs type. and markets correcting a little bit. 
you'll start and rents are actually rising even in even in sort of Sydney and Melbourne. So you'll start to see that. I mean, never very saying two percent or two and a half percent in Sydney. I think you'll start to see that come up a little bit. But um, you touched on commercial. You haven't uh, ventured into commercial yet. And I'm not like I don't. But have you has that had that crossed your mind or given you're in business? So is it, what's the what's the story of commercial? Yeah. So um, in business, I once made a mistake of thinking I was because I was good at one business, I would be good at all businesses. So um, arrogant younger Charlie had just like I've got a seven figure company, right? I've got a business that's doing a million dollars a year. Woo! Look at me. Where's my parade? Know it all. Yeah, absolutely. I start a business in another niche and get my ass handed to me. I'm like, whoa, what's a tariff? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I was like very, very humbled in that moment. And it was a great learning experience for me to go, okay, like you did one thing well, that doesn't mean you're good at all things, right? And to be fair, the one thing you did well, probably luck played a bit of a role as well. So maybe just, you know, wind that one back, cowboy, like, Let's be let's be more humble in thinking about this. There's a bit more to it. If business was so easy, everyone would be successful. Right? So then in property is like I've developed a really good set of skills around residential. Like it's something that I can grasp. It's something we've gone deep on. Now, even though commercial smells and looks very similar in many, many ways, every time I talk to Steve Polisi or Hayden and they bring up something about the way they do the leases or they bring up something from here, I'm like, that's the thing that would have screwed me. This is the mm. thing I didn't know. So in, um, I have been uh, busy, busy in the business world still, having a lot of fun with the podcast and things like that. And I've just said, well, until I'm willing to spend the time truly understanding that, the risk on it's just too high. Like I'm going to be the guy that gets my ass handed to me and like we're playing with bigger amounts of capital here. So this is where mm-hmm. a bit of like discipline around it has, uh, has been going it. But then the other side of it is why? Like I'm as I said, I've, I've reached a really great point in my life. Like, why would I take risks that aren't appropriate for where I'm at? Like taking on a bad commercial property could lead to a wipeout. Doing nothing still has me be financially independent. So cautious of the risks I take on when looking at it. But yes, it, like, I'm not going to lie. I get on Steve's website every now and again and just imagine if I bought one of those properties. Oh, jeez. Damn you and uh, the storage episode of the podcast. I'm like, oh, I'm yeah. calling Grant. God, dude, we're raising capital. Let's roll. We're doing a storage facility. And then I'm like, probably not Wheel a great idea. Wheel it back. <laughs> but, but this is this is like a part of the preparation for your potential commercial journey. And that's what I love about this is you've taken the steps that you've need to take in for the residential space. And this, this conversation that we're having right now through five years ago, was the residential story that you were having with, you know, yourself and and Bianca. Like, I don't know enough about residential. I need to build and structure out my, I need to start the process, start the education journey. I love that. Completely. Start to think about that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, I'm, I've got, um, I've got a great question that's popped up here. I don't have it. It's not mine. The other thing is to think about is why are you doing this? If you don't need to, if you can't answer it, then maybe it's not right for you and you're just doing it because of learned habits. That's an interesting statement. That's, that's Hayden who said that. Oh, is it? Hayden's going deep, right? He's getting philosophical tonight as well. I like it. Yeah. Philosophical. So, uh, I mean, I'll comment on that one there is like uh, for, for my, the pursuit of accumulation is a fun game. Like when you're um, accumulating properties uh, fast and you're at that stage of the journey, it certainly can be, but it's like, 
um, the risk thing certainly starts to become into your awareness. So when you get to a certain point, it's like, I think it's a really good thing to think about the why, because if it's not necessarily helping you achieve anything more then why do it at all. And it's a very challenging thing. But um, as I mentioned much earlier on in our conversation is like when everything in your life that is a has to turns into a get to, so I don't have to buy another property. I get to buy another property. I don't have to go to work tomorrow. I get to go to work tomorrow. Like life just becomes more fun, like way Mm. more fun. And uh, I think Mm. that that is something uh, I would encourage more people to think about. Like know that uh, end point or know that point where you've achieved it because it's like grinding out accumulating properties on an endless pursuit I don't think is anyone's real outcome apart from maybe like Birchie. But even then he looks like he's having a great time doing it. Uh, He gets me excited. (laughs) <laughs> I just, I, I just, I just love how like he he loves the rabbit holes. Good, good on Birchie on his Birch feed. Like just see, I don't know if you're on Birch feed, but the stuff that he comes up with, I'm I'm just like, wow, that's that's interesting, Birch. And he and he's just completely, yeah, love it. Yeah. Um, so they're talking talking about Nathan Birch. He has a what twenty thirty million dollar property portfolio and runs a little bit more businesses. than that. Joe, we say one hundred eighty million. Then somebody asked us if we'd verified it, and we're like, oh, well, oh we god, because... one hundred eighty. Um, oh my lord, David, David Oliver, future car goals. What... I I would say I would love a DeLorean at some point. I'll just say I'll put that out there. Like, how does that anyone... actually work? Though? Like, what? what do they don't that? work. That's the that's the whole point of the DeLorean. They don't work. Yeah. I've heard so many terrible stories about those cars, but they're beautiful. I, they are beautiful. I've very much got to fulfill all my dream car goals. Like, I've absolutely got to experience those things, and I've been very, very lucky. Where it's like I've had the dream car. I've you know pursued all those types of things, and and got to have those experiences. Yeah. Love that. Um, so anyone that has any questions, so Charlie, the business owner, you can chat to him about, you know, ask some questions about the business side of things around the property investing side of things. This is what I love about you. You're like two worlds, two worlds colliding and you don't realize, and then this is why the full stack business owner podcast is so good is because you don't realize how many people are, you know, wanting to get into business or wanting to understand how these two worlds interact. And I think you've added so much value with that, with the community, with this conversation as well. And I'm, I'm, I'm digging it. This is awesome the way that you look at property investing because you just treat it like the business that it actually is. A lot of people just go into property, just, you know, just winging it. I'll just wing it. It's fine. I'll, I'll, you know, it's, I live in a house. That's I know houses, um, but it's not. It's a process and you're building the right team around you. I'm all for it. It's certainly been a lot of fun. I'm enjoying it. This is an interesting um, one, and I know, I know you're not a broker, so we can, you can I can sort of jump. Well, can in. Can you ask it, Jeff? I mean, answer it. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm interested in Charlie's kind of, and if he has, what what is wrong with cross guys sometimes that assist customers in a in a great way? I mean, I don't know. What are your thoughts on cross collateralization? None. This is advice, but what have you in your chats with Aaron? Well, Do you know what? I've actually asked him this question. It's like it gets a really bad name. I'm like, well, why does it exist then? Like you, yeah. banks don't make products because like they, you know, cool, we're going to make terrible products that hurt people. Like they're businesses that sell things. In this case, they're selling money. So in many cases, I think uh, cross-collateralization was actually like well-intended. It's helping mm-hmm. people probably borrow more than they could because they're able to put up one asset's uh, value with another and entangle them. The, the risks mm-hmm. and downsides of them, though, is where things get really interesting. So it was expressed mm-hmm. to me, is like, imagine you bought a property in the peak of Perth's boom, the last boom, right? And it went down in value. 
and that was entangled with a property on the east coast that went up in value about how the bank could actually force to take things from one to the other or make it difficult for you to sell the property or you might have yeah. to sell your property in Sydney to cover the loss on another. So that's where like the entanglements become an issue. In it, if everything goes up in perp- uh, perp- what is it perpetuity, then you know I'm sure there's less problems with them. It's the optionality of can I sell one? If market yeah. dynamics changes, they're all the risks you're really looking at taking on through that. Yeah, you, you, you pretty much nailed it. I mean, that, that's of course it, it just makes it makes things more challenging. Um, it, it makes things more sticky, which is which is a big benefit for the for the lender or the bank. And and de-risk them because they're the one there. Yeah. Um, but I mean, they're getting extra. They're getting that extra collateral, so it helps them. Uh, yeah. It helps them a lot. Um, but it's just like it's just like LMI, right? Like if it's, I mean, this is where you're totally against it, Charlie, which is absolutely fine. But I know people are in situations where they want to get into property. They have done. They do like for instance, my first property. Um, I got into it with LMI, and I got it into. No, actually, I didn't get into it with LMI. I got it into a um, with a guarantor, guarantor. loan guarantor loan and that that was a massive risk that i put onto someone else being my parents from that property side of things they didn't give me any cash they gave me the guarantor loan but what i did to de-risk that was one use a buyer's agent which turned out to be a massive mistake we've told the story many times um choosing the right buyer's agent because i didn't ask the right questions and actually we've got the 14 questions do you want to chuck they didn't jeff 14 questions to ask a buyer's agent for anyone that wants to speak with a buyer's agent there's some good questions to ask um but yeah. uh now i've thrown myself off my where, where was i going with that um, about oh, uh, about yeah. using lmi yeah about using so the guarantor loan i found a renovation property that i could renovate and add value to that would be to the value of the guarantor so i was able to renovate the property and release the guarantor by using my cash for the renovation. It's the same with LMI. Like if you have a strategic way to utilize LMI to get you into an asset that's going to allow it to grow, then absolutely. My thoughts on LMI are embrace it when you have to, avoid it when you can. Because if you can avoid it, then why pay an extra 10 grand in insurance to somebody else? It sucks. Yeah, people have got to decide what's right for them, right? It's like I... Totally get it. For some people, that's if that's their way of doing things and that's what they're up for, like I wish them the best. It's just not how I would approach it. Mm, yeah, 100%. Sorry, Jeff, I've thrown you down a, a race to try and find this. <laughs> find yeah, this. yeah, yeah, that's what I'm doing. That's why I look very distracted. Yeah. So, Charlie, is there anything that um, – are there any kind of key things that people can think about from a mind mindset perspective that is really – helped you that we haven't kind of covered off are there any other kind of key mindset things that help yeah so i think honestly every every person whether they're aware of it or not likely has their own money issues or personal issues i'm not saying they're all bad but i think if the if you everyone can spend some time working out how they're wired and potentially where some of those limitations are it could literally be the difference on success and failure so like there's some great programs out there and there's some great support in there and it might just be the best investment you make in your property journey, um, believe it or not, right? It's like I think there's a few proof cases out there. Um, on well, the Case in point right here. Yeah. The, the second thing I would say is like there seems to be this continual thing where people think they can't earn more. I, I rub up mm. against this all the times. So it's like, guys, I'm a high school dropout from Frankston, Right. If I can fucking do this, anyone can. Like, there's not, like, I, the idea that people didn't come out into the world, I'm not saying I was disadvantaged, 
I'm not, right? I had a f- fantastic advantages in life. But at the same time, it's like I, I am nothing special compared to the norm. So the idea of people that they put these limits on themselves, that earning more is impossible for them for whatever reason, I think is something that is probably the next thing that holds people back. And, you know, they'll tell themselves stories about, you know, I've got to keep this secure job for the kids. Of, you know, my wife had never let me t- pursue a business. It's not possible yeah. for me, right? Which is all just like you've made up that story, right? You know, as Jeff said, it's like if you believe you can or you believe you can't, well, you're right. I just tended to believe I could and like went after it. So I think for many people out there, that's a uh, fantastic thing to consider is like there's tons of money out there to be made. Like, honestly, I, if you turn on the news right now, you might be convinced that there's no money to be made out there. We're having record months. Like business is booming. There's so many opportunities and changes in this world that I just go, now's a great time to get into business. TikTok. Mm. You're making, making, helping people make money hand over fist with avatar ads on TikTok, right? Absolutely. Talk about, I, do you want to know where that one come from? I saw a, a, a post from Kim Kardashian that she was annoyed at Instagram because they weren't showing her content as much. So she was going to start putting her efforts onto TikTok. And I'm like, they got the influencers? And I, I go on there, right? And I, like, to be clear, I, I'm not great at using the platform, but I'm like, if Kim Kardashian and all these other influencers are starting to spend more of their time there than they are on these other platforms, so will the audiences go. And if you want to promote a podcast to those audiences, that'll be the place to do it. So mm-hmm. new opportunity. But uh, I, I went and looked at it. It'd be easy to dismiss TikTok based on you think it's young people dancing. Uh, we're certainly over there like doing very well from it. So if you're on the online front, I think there'll be significant opportunity there in the next 12 to 24 months. Super interesting. Yeah. DJ asked this, um, he, he said, Joe already asked this, but uh, but if we can find out more about what types of properties. So when DJ, you have to clarify, what, what, what do you mean by what type well, of properties? I think it would be like, I'm also interested in, did you have some rules around like yield requirements and purchase price requirements and distance from the city requirements? I know some people have that. Um, well, what did you have some rules around that? Uh, great, great question. So we, we think about diversification is a really big thing. So if all your properties are on one street, like mm-hmm. I actually look at as a, a quite a significant risk, like especially in these times with crazy weather and all, who knows what's going to happen. There could be yeah. something where you could be potentially ruined. So I look yeah. at that and go like diverse locations. So we're in uh, four states is our properties is where we're playing at the moment. And none of them are close to each other in range, even for the ones that are in the same states. Uh, we've got mixed yeah. assets. So we've got some single houses. I've got a duplex. I've got a block of units. I've got a triplex. Like we went with different accommodation depending on where it is as well, just to mix things up, right? So we're not all in one asset class uh, either. And like you have to look at this as well, and even in more recent times with like the Queensland land tax type thing or Victorian rental uh, changes is like each state has its own risks. So I wouldn't want to be all in one state if it was me personally either. I think diversity of states and uh, types of accommodation depending is really uh, important also. Uh, I don't pick my locations. I let my team pick the locations that are suitable. So I am more rely on their expertise in those places. But it has ended up a mix of like what I would call some metro areas and some regional towns, but nothing's too far from a capital city in my view. Mm. Yeah, that's so that's so interesting to point out the, the different state legislations. Like I was chatting to someone, an investor today, and they said um, 
uh, look, we need to boot this tenant out because they're really bad in this property. Um, and I'm from Victoria and it, you can't, you have to go to VCAT, you have to go through this whole process. And then uh, in South Australia, it was like, oh no, look, they're a bad tenant. You do this, you know, step one, two and three, and then they're out. Um, and it's just a super smooth, easy process to be able to do those things. Um, so it's interesting that, yeah, Queensland, uh, Victoria is very, very strict and New South Wales, I think, and Queensland are thinking about taking on similar rules and regulations. But again, things that you need to know, um, but that's why you have a, a good team around you. Um, there's plenty of good tenants and there's plenty of good landlords. There's also plenty of terrible tenants and plenty of terrible landlords. Like I'm not going to camp this either way. It's just yeah, that like, I think there's a, a mix of everything. There was a great question that came up here about how you decided to um, do your renovations. And I just want to bring that up, um, but I can't find it. So, sorry, I'll go silent for a bit minute. Um, if anyone has any other questions, throw, throw them in there and um, we'll get to them. You've, you've run out of questions, Joe? This is, this, this is unheard of. This is unheard of. Okay, cool. Doesn't matter. Anyway, um, how did you decide? Uh, I, I can rehash it. How did you decide on the types of renovations that, that, that you needed? Like, how did you say, oh, well, you know, did you speak to your property managers? Like, what, what does that look like? Yeah, so this has actually all been through the property managers. We asked our property managers the question of like, is there anything we could do to this property to improve it that would increase rents? And then all the property managers were also incredibly helpful in like they've got like they've got trades and access to trades to quote things. Like this is something where they have insider knowledge. So our property yeah. managers have been fantastic and incredibly helpful uh, in that regard there. And particularly we've got a guy called Scott, uh, which I don't think you'll see this, but nonetheless, he's been uh, very, very awesome up in Queensland in like actually helping us execute some of these like uh, property improvements and helping us with things. And what is he? A, what is he? A property manager? Absolutely. Oh, we'll give him a plug. What's his thing? Scott who? Uh, I was gonna say I don't know the name of his business, which is terrible. He's just Scott to me. <laughs> but we should definitely uh, resource that. God. One. Which... <laughs> George, my he, things if, for me. If he knew the business. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Cool. I think this has been an absolutely amazing session. If there are no other questions, um, yeah, throw them I've in. Got, I got a, Go on, Jeff. I got a quick up. question, Joe. Well, not a quick question. It's probably a long question, so um, apologies in advance. But uh, you shouldn't apologize for anything you enjoy. So, the, um, it's an interesting. I don't know about that one, mate. Phrasing. But the uh, <laughs> question I had is, what's next for you? Like, what what do you what do you foresee as the next twelve to twenty four months in your investing journey? That is a, a high quality question, there, Jeff. So, um, we're we're actually positioned where we could go again right now like we're absolutely positioned where we could take on another property or do something in that way and we're hunting for opportunity now uh, my general view and this is like pure speculation is like based on what's going on in the world right now i don't know what's going to happen but mm -hmm. i do look at this and think that opportunity will present so we've had this really hot run and then things seem to be getting more interesting in our economy with rate rises and the rest and it's like, I want to be that guy that if uh, things were to turn and, and great opportunities come out again, I want to snap it up from uh, something in that regard from there. Now, the other thing which I would encourage people to think about is that there's been these massive changes in the world to just like how we do business in this like post uh, COVID economy. 
right? Yeah. And um, okay. the thing that probably has the me the most excited is the business opportunities. Like we're seeing right mm-hmm. now that just the amount of businesses that were once doing things in the physical world are now doing them online and it's how it's reshaping all the opportunities around them where if anyone was thinking about making a move to, into business, I think now is an excellent time. Like I think all mm-hmm. this change and reorder of the world is presenting new and different opportunities. So I think it's just an awesome time to be good, involved in the sport of business. Yeah, such a great such a great point. When they reshuffle the deck, it's, it all gets shaken up and there's great opportunities. There, there we go. Uh, Bianca saved us. <laughs> saved, saved Scotty. He's going to get pummeled with uh, um, questions. Um, there's another question here. Um, I think, like you say, you've got to find a way to move forward regardless of what it is. Doing something is better than sitting on your hands waiting for the perfect opportunity. I saw a fantastic comment actually in the Facebook group today. Um, and it was, there is a great opportunity every single week. And so don't get too caught up on the deal. It Don't get too emotional. And this is what I've learned from you right now after this conversation, Charlie, is exactly this, that you are, you're going to make a way. You've set the plan in motion you've set the actual end goal and i think that's the difference that you do is that you look at that end goal around what is this thing that i actually want to achieve and then you work backwards you don't actually i know you see it all the time in what you do but you don't actually see that enough in property um and in planning i think this is a key takeaway an absolute key takeaway that people can get from this is what do you actually want why are you doing it and then Go to, go to a team, like create your team in the group, ask every person in this group that is looks professional and is a portfolio, um, who are you using? Why are you using them? And chat to that person and build your A team out and then build the bridge to, to get you there. Um, inspirational stuff, if, if I might say so inspirational cheers oh, guys very you. kind of you and thank you so much for the shout outs on the podcast as well right I mass- massively appreciate right. that. Well, I that's the next uh, question. Uh, well, this is the funny thing. I was can, chatting can, to can Jeff. Can I ask one more question? Uh, Go for yes. it, guys. I'll, I'll ask as many as you like. Okay. Yeah. I, I Yeah, publicly, there are no, no DMs, of course. Yes, Hayden. I think that Hayden's... I wanted to know, um, no DMs. does the roadmap for you keep... Uh, not roadmap. Does the goalpost keep moving? Because I find I tend to struggle a little bit with that sometimes. Like, I hit a goal and I'm like, okay, great. What next? How do you, how do you deal with that? Yeah. So interestingly enough, when I first started in business, I definitely had that. And even I would say earlier in the property journey, what, what's really changed that for me is kids, right? So if I, um, like I have a, a almost three-year-old son, Jack, and uh, what's become increasingly aware to me is like every minute I'm not with him or I'm in business is time lost with him. Like time becomes so much of a more val- valuable asset to me at this point in my life. So, I, and I know for many people that they experience something similar. So that was probably the biggest shift was recognizing that if I'm spending all my time doing this, it's time not spent with him and I can't get that back. So as for setting goals, it's kind of like a different thing. Do we adjust? Like, I actually think it's uh, healthy for people to aspire to do things. Like if you're going to be a dad, be the best dad, right? If you're going to do property, do the property thing. It's when we get entangled in the idea of like, uh, just constantly chasing things for the sake of chasing things. Like it, it doesn't seem to lead to good outcomes for a lot of people. So a uh, turning point in my life, definitely. 
going 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 to full circle back to um if you play if you play poor games you'll end up with poor results or poor rewards was that the play silly games get silly yeah play stupid games win stupid prizes yeah okay yeah thanks for um thanks for embellish thanks for um kind of um for um looking at my, my sort of um sort of personal question so yeah yeah, love that. Um, well, if anyone wants to actually, if it yeah, it's a bit reception's a bit dodgy. Um, so if anyone wants to learn a little bit more about Charlie's story, we actually did a podcast with him about a year, year and two months ago, and that went through you know step by step what the first one was, what the second one was. So if you're interested in that, jump on that because it's super valuable. Um, but in the meantime, Charlie, how do people get in touch with you? Where can they reach out? Um, what's the best way to kind of learn more about Charlie and what he's up to? Well, firstly, I'm an active member in your group, right? So it's like I do comment and say hello and like people definitely uh, get in touch in here. Uh, that guy that's always just saying earn more, that asshole. Um, anyway, um, the other one is like I have the podcast <laughs> Full Stack Business Owner. So um, again, I know not all people will be business owners, but a lot of the stuff we cover is very investing and property related. And I would go as yeah, far to but, say but this is that's that mindset though, isn't it? Like you you need a business mindset for property. So soak up, soak it up. Sorry, I, I jumped in there. Sorry, mate. I'm just go, go for excited. it. I was, I was just going to say that if you're doing property investing, you are a business owner. Like you should be working on your business owner skills. So come and uh, check out the podcast, and and hopefully someone will throw it down in the comments or whatever is uh, there, to, so people can oh, find Jeff's it. Already done it. Oh, there we go. Here. Thank you, Jeff. Fullstackbusinessowner.com. Oh, you didn't go with the .au. There you go. We're going global, oh, baby. We, we definitely own them, but uh, to that point, it's like gotta have your .coms these days. <laughs> Yeah, make sure you get your dot com. <laughs> um, yeah, amazing. Let's do it. Um, also follow him on his Instagram because he's got amazing recipes and cookbooks. There you go. <laughs> All right, so that, that one is true. So one of it the is. things, like, like I am actually been learning to cook. It's been one of my new hobbies. So if you do follow me on socials, broccoli. That's all I see you eat is just trees. <laughs> People are worried about the trees. I'm worried about the broccoli trees in your in your house. <laughs> hey, those, bro- those broccoli chips are legit, right? <laughs> okay. Anything else, Jeff? Anything you wanted to cover off, mate? No, no. Fantastic session. Thanks for. I really appreciate you and Grant uh, for creating that full stack um, podcast. But um, also just being so open to to having conversations, and it's amazing how much time yeah. you have to to help people out. It's just you're a you're a productivity machine, I'd say. But just a really really good guy as well, I'd say. It's a fun stage of life. I enjoy giving back, right? I was like, we've, I've been through some things where it's like I've gotten to a point where I've done some stuff that I think others would benefit from. It's no point for me to hold that to my own. Like just because I've achieved what I've done doesn't mean you can't. It's not a zero-sum game. Like we can both mm-hmm. make it to a good place. Mm-hmm. So I, I, and I think for a lot of people in the world when they achieve things, like you look at guys like Ray Dalio now. It's like that dude doesn't need to write books and give back to the world. But mm. they do, and it's like yeah. there's a compelling feeling in others when they get to a place where things are good for them is they want to give it to other people. So that's where that intent comes from. Love that. If you want to learn more, reach out to Charlie on Full Stack Business Owner. But let's go buy a property. See you guys later. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Hear more interviews and share your story with some of Australia's top property experts and commentators now by joining the Oz Property Investors Facebook group. 
with over 25,000 property investors so we can all become better property investors together.